And uh, we're going to be looking in Genesis chapter 9 this evening, finishing up uh, our short series that we started a few weeks ago on God's covenant with Noah. And uh, tonight we're going to look at the rainbow of love. Yeah, there's a rain. Come on, Wade, you can do it. Rainbow of love. Yeah, I can't get down that low. <clears throat> Oh, what a great old song that was. We should have sung it tonight, I guess, but uh, that's all right. That is all right. I just didn't think about it in time. The rainbow of love. Genesis 9, 13. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow of love. Remember, God uh, made this covenant, the covenant of Noah, with the earth and uh, with all flesh, including the animals. And uh, the end result was that men and all the earth would not uh, be destroyed uh, by this terrible deluge of the flood uh, at any time in the future. Uh, sometimes God's order for the earth is hard to see amidst all the seeming disorder that we see around everywhere. Uh, but God has marvelously through this covenant promised His blessings on the earth and humanity and again, it can be hard to see those blessings sometimes through all of the burdens that life brings to us. Uh, but this one points us to God's covenantal promises. And like all of God's covenantal promises, they pointed in one way or another to Jesus Christ. That's what 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20 says for us. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. And that is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. All the promises, all the covenant promises of God are in Him, yes, and in Him, amen. And that Him, of course, is Jesus Christ. Uh, he is the ultimate fulfillment of all of these covenants. When Jesus spoke of the Old Testament or covenant as the law and the prophets, He said this in Matthew 5 and 17, Think not, He said, that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Did you see that? To fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. You see, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these covenant promises and blessings. Some of those covenants, of course, were fulfilled by His work on the cross. Some of them uh, were fulfilled by His very presence. Some of them are awaiting fulfillment, and they will be fulfilled by Him at some point in the future. We think specifically about God's promise relating a covenant with David uh, concerning the Davidic covenant and the Davidic kingdom, uh, to Abraham about the land, uh, to Adam 
Adam and Eve even about the Messiah, how that he will crush Satan's head. Uh, listen, that uh, in a sense happened on the cross, but of course it's still awaiting his ultimate fulfillment. All of the full, uh, promises, covenant promises of God are going to fulfill themselves in Jesus Christ. And that's certainly true with this promise of the rainbow of love. Now, like almost everything else that God has established in the world, uh, they have, the world has tried to make a mess out of it. And certainly the sign of the rainbow uh, has been hijacked by a lot of things in the world. Uh, we know uh, you, uh, if you've been around for a while in America, uh, you remember a coalition that called itself Rainbow. Uh, it was pretty popular not long ago. Uh, very obviously, very famously, the rainbow uh, has been adopted as a symbol of the homosexual movement in America and, in fact, literally around the world. What is, then, the rainbow? Well, the rainbow is uh, something that happens scientifically because of the refraction of light. Uh, in order for it to occur, the sun has to be at about a 48-degree angle, 42 to 48 degrees, uh, somewhere around in there, in order for this to occur. That's why we always see rainbows for the most part in the morning or in the afternoon, because the sun has to be at just the right angle for light to refract. Have you ever seen a double rainbow? Anybody? Did you ever notice that the second rainbow was opposite from the first one? <laughs> Look at it next time you see one. And uh, you'll see that it goes, whatever color it is, blue up to red, and the second one will go the other way, red down to blue. It's a rather interesting phenomenon uh, that happens uh, because of, of the refraction of light and how it is all operating. Um, we know about that. We know a whole lot more about it than the ancient people do. Uh, but the Bible does not uh, discuss this scientifically. It discusses it spiritually. Biblically, we don't get away from the rainbow. Because all the way over in the book of Revelation, we find this, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 2, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Amen. <laughs> Every time I read that, I say, Amen. Thank you. Throne is occupied. <laughs> one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardin stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne and this one was solid green in sight like an emerald. Isn't that amazing? Revelation chapter 10 and verse 1, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. What a great thing. His face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. So we find the rainbow in Genesis. We're still seeing the rainbow all the way over in the book of Revelation. So what does it teach us then about Jesus Christ? Well, first of all, we see in this His creative cognizance or understanding. Genesis chapter 9 and verse 14, And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. When I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. So when we think of the material creation, the Bible then presents the truth that Christ is the creator and the sustainer of the earth and the physical universe. Let me give you a couple of passages tonight. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. For by him all things were created 
in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And of course the hymn in that passage is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Such is His control over the universe that we find in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven, for He makes His Son. His Son. His Son. Shine on the evil and the good and sins rain on the just and on the unjust. The sun doesn't exist on its own. It is His Son. The message of our faith, you see, doesn't point to some mythical force or cosmic consequence, but to a real person, the God-man, Jesus Christ, by whom all things are made, and by whom all things consist or are held together. We've already seen that part of God's covenant to Noah was that uh, God would bring back order uh, to the universe, and so for the earth there would be the seasons, the planting and the harvest, and as long then as the earth remains, he said, these things would not be taken away in judgment because of another great deluge or flood. Simon Peter spoke of this in 2 Peter chapter 3, and he said, For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and earth, which are now by the same word, what word? <laughs> the word of God's covenant to Noah. God said, as long as the earth remains, there will be seasons, seed time, plant time, harvest time. And we'll no longer see this deluge. So by the same word, these are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2. Uh, another statement that tells us that Jesus is the brightness of God's glory and the expressed image of His person, that He is the one who made the worlds and that He is the one who upholds all things by the word of His power. It's like God wanted us to get this message, amen? I mean, we find it over and over and over and over again. All things were made by Him. Him who? By Jesus Christ. And without Him was not anything made that was made. It's all over the New Testament. So with all this instruction about God's control over the physical universe, we ask ourselves the question tonight, is God's power over the creation used in judgment on this planet? And the answer is Noah's flood. Yes, yes. God's power over the creation has been, can be, is being, and will be used to bring judgment upon the earth. Romans chapter 8 and verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the whole freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. God has 
God does, God will use the things He created in judgment against itself. It is presumptive of us, however, to claim to understand how and why outside of some specific revelation from God. We might be tempted to say when an earthquake strikes maybe out in California, we might say, yeah, God's judging them people. I want you to listen to what I just said tonight. Outside of some specific revelation from God's Word, okay, we really should not say that God is moving in judgment against some specific people. Droughts happen. Earthquakes happen. Hurricanes happen. Storms happen. Why? It's because of this passage. The whole creation has been subjected to futility. It is groaning like a woman in travail. It is giving birth to something. And what it is going to give birth to is both glorious uh, in that it is the glorious second coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's what's going to bring, bring this thing to a head. And it is also something very frightening. Now, there's something scary about the forces of nature. Uh, I've stood and looked down into an active volcano. I've done it. Not bragging. It's just fact. <laughs> Call me Friday. Uh, some of you don't know who Friday was. That's okay. Uh, it's just, uh, I've, I've done it. Uh, you can smell the sulfur. You know what sulfur is called in the Bible? Brimstone. Brimstone. You stand next to a volcano, you can smell it heavy in the air. The people on that island believed that their volcano was the door to hell. I'm not sure 100% that there, <laughs> there might not be some validity to that. After all, the Bible teaches that hell is located in the center of the earth. So, who knows? brought that up only to say there's something awe-inspiring about the forces of this created universe. When God decides to turn them loose, we are powerless to prevent it. We can't make it rain. We can't make it stop raining. We can't make the earth quit shaking. We can't make the volcanoes stop erupting. Not even an act of Congress can change it. Not even the president. No king anywhere on the planet can command the forces of nature. But I know the king who commands them all. Who holds them all in the palm of his hand. And when he speaks, they respond. God then is aware of it's, it's the, the covenant with Noah and his promise of the rainbow in the clouds. I'll set my bow in the cloud. Uh, this tells us of his creative uh, power, his creative presence, and, and the fact that he understands and is in control of the creation as a whole. 
but it also shows his glorious grace. In verse 14, it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bows shall be seen in the cloud. He'll go on to say, the bows shall be in the cloud and I will look upon it. Did you see that? I'll look upon it. That I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, this is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. God says, I put my bow... In the cloud, when I bring a cloud over the earth, the bow will be seen in the cloud. And who sees it? God sees it. Every now and then, we get to see it. When the sun's just right, we're standing just right, 42 to 48 degrees, it's just right, this way, this way. We can see it that way, this way. If everything's just right, we see it. But God said, when I make the clouds pass over the earth, I see my bow in the cloud. Listen, there's a rainbow in every cloud. We don't always get to see them, but God sees them. And God is the one then who looks upon that rainbow. He sees it completely every single time. And he sees it as, he says, a reminder of his covenant with the world. It is his covenant of grace. Noah and his family had just experienced that incredible power of the creation, an up-close personal encounter with that flood, and they lived to tell about it. And just like any survivor, I have to think that every time it started thundering, Noah and his family kind of trembled just a little bit. You reckon? It's like ever, anybody that's ever gone through a tornado, every time... Uh, they hear the wind blowing and see the storms coming. They may react just a little bit differently than someone who's never been through one. When you're a survivor of something like that, it makes you recognize it. And God was then giving them assurance. I, every time I bring a cloud over the earth, you remember Noah, I'm seeing the rainbow in it and I've made your promise. It's not going to overthrow the earth anymore. You see, the real question is not whether or not God can bring natural calamities to pass in order to bring judgment upon the earth. The real uh, that's not a question at all. He can. The real question is, why doesn't he do more of it? Now, don't look at me that way. Y'all have thought from time to time, just like I have, you know... Uh, humanity today ever in an ever-increasing way stands with its fist shaken into the face of God daring him to do something. We're doing it more and more. Every now and then, just a little bit of a selective storm might be helpful, we think. Why don't they happen more? I'll tell you why. Because of God's grace. It's the grace of God that is working through Jesus Christ that holds it back. That's what Simon Peter talked about in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20. The long suffering of God that waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing. The long suffering of God. He says, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer, notice that, the answer of a good conscience toward God. There's been so much controversy through the years over 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21. So many people interpret it wrong and see it wrong. 
I want you to see in that passage a very simple thing, that baptism is called the answer of a good conscience toward God. What does that mean? That means once you have a good conscience toward God, the answer to that, the natural response of that is baptism. But the good conscience has to be there before it can be answered. Baptism is the answer of a good conscience toward God. That's exactly the way that Simon Peter put it. And he tells us that baptism doesn't save us actually. It saves us in a figure, in a figurative sense, he said. And how is that? Well, baptism is a picture of our actual salvation. But salvation has to be there before you're baptized. All you do otherwise is just get wet. But when you're saved, then you're put down under the water, and then you're raised back up out of the water. You are buried with Jesus Christ in baptism, Paul says, and you are raised up then to walk with him in newness of life. Baptism doesn't save you. It is a picture of what happens to you when you're saved. It is the answer then, Simon Peter says, uh, of a good conscience toward God. And so the passage then is very clear uh, about what it's trying to say to us. But tonight I want us to think primarily about just the long-suffering of God. That uh, while it is true that the flood came and the flood showed God's judgment, but let's remember that before the flood came, God worked in long-suffering so that Noah, the preacher of righteousness, preached for 120 years. He concludes then in verse 11, Therefore, of 2 Peter chapter 3, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought to you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Now, I don't believe we can really uh, change the day that Jesus Christ is going to come because uh, there are many times where the Bible talks about it. Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. Uh, three times in the book of Revelation, Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly. Uh, and uh, just in case we didn't get that, he said, Yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and what? Will not tarry. Will not tarry. Uh, but we are hastening on the coming of the day of God by doing biblical evangelism, by carrying on the work of the Great Commission. There's a day and an hour fixed in the mind of God. No man knows it. No man knows it. And that day is coming. The day when Jesus will re return for his people. And after that, God's judgment time is going to be unleashed on this planet. Long-suffering of God then waited until the ark was finished. Until then, there is this continuing sign, the rainbow of grace fulfilled in Jesus Christ who stands as a restrainer <clears throat> of God's judgment. Every storm may remind us of how fragile our civilization is. But above that storm, stands the grace of God. <clears throat> now, where do we go with these things tonight? What do we do with God's rainbow of love and how it applies to us? Well, let's remember uh, 2 Corinthians 1.20. I read this earlier in the message, but let's look at it again, uh, that uh, all the promises of God find their yes in Him. Uh, that is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee.
You ever signed a contract? You ever signed a contract? Signed it with another party? Yeah, they're going to do this, this, this. Uh, you know, a contract <laughs> really isn't worth the paper it's printed on if the parties who do that are not trustworthy. Uh, the contract is dependent upon those people who signed it following through with what they agreed to do. They say, well, I can take them to court. Mm -hmm, you can. You can get a judgment. Uh, how's that work? <laughs> does that work out and make everything right? Well, sometimes it does. I'll be honest with you, sometimes it does. But let's just remember a contract is only as good as the parties that sign it. Aren't you glad that when it comes to our redemption, we are sealed by the very presence and hand of Almighty God? We can count on God then to keep His Word to us. He is the guarantee that these things will happen. And not only that, but the sign of His guarantee is the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts, according to Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. He has given us the earnest of the Spirit who stands as God's guarantee that He will complete the transaction. So the greatest sign that there is is the sign of the new covenant. And that is that God is living through us, in us, through the Spirit as a guarantee that He'll keep His promises. We also remember then because of God's control over the creation that He built this creation and it was subjected to sin. But along with that subjection, there is also a destruct button. One day God will push it. We see what happens when an earthquake happens, what it does to everything around it, how that everything that we build and we have so much confidence in can shake and quickly fall down to rubble and dust. We've seen it. Imagine that happening on a global scale. Imagine volcanoes going off all around the world all at the same time. Imagine along with that a cataclysmic war. Imagine going along with that a sudden outbreak of devastating disease, epidemic, pandemic. Read the book of Revelation. You'll see all those things and more. Is that scary? It is scary for those who are going to be left behind to deal with it. But God's covenant promises to us in Jesus Christ says that the same God that can decree that judgment has not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain deliverance through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I believe that. There is a great day coming. And the only way you can be ready for that day is through Jesus Christ. We can also be reminded tonight that when the storms come in our life, some literal, some metaphorical, let's remember that God says there's a rainbow in every cloud. I don't know who came up with the idea there's a silver lining in every cloud. I don't know whether I believe that or not. That silver lining in every cloud is some, their way of saying that there's some good in everything that happens to us. And I'm, I'm not sure I can see some good in everything that happens to us. I've seen a lot of really bad things happen to a lot of really good people. And it's hard for me to look at them and say they were good. I don't believe Romans 8.28, by the way, teaches that. Romans 8.28 says that all things are working together for good. 
doesn't mean that God would never see bad things happen. It just means that God overcomes those bad things with good. And that's what the cloud, not with a silver lining, but with the rainbow in it tonight is teaching us all. And not a silver cloud, silver lining in every cloud, but there's a rainbow in every cloud. And that means that the cloud, listen tonight, does not get the last word. God does. God's grace does. You say, well, I don't, I don't always see a rainbow in a cloud. I know that's not important for you to see it. We don't see the sun at night. <laughs> it's on the other side of the planet. It's still there. It's not important for us to see it, although we do get to see it. What's important is that God sees the rainbow. That's what he said. I will look upon, I cause a cloud to come over the earth. I'll put my bow in the cloud and I will look upon it. That's what God said. Rainbow in every cloud. God sees it whether we do or not. When we do see it, we can say, thank you, God. You've reminded me that there's something above the storms, and that something is your grace and your mercy through Jesus Christ. No storm has the last word as long as Jesus lives and as long as his covenant is sure. We can understand, perhaps, when we think about what the Bible says about the rainbow tonight and what it means to us, we can maybe understand a little bit better why that the devil worked so hard to hijack it away from us and almost make us ashamed of it. Don't let him win. The rainbow is God's covenant promise to this whole earth, everybody on this planet, and to the earth itself. It is a covenant of His grace through Jesus Christ. And if you know Jesus Christ, it's your covenant. And it's mine. It's mine. The question is tonight, of course, do you know Jesus Christ? If you don't, there will never be a better time for you to get to know Him than tonight. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He didn't, they buried Him, but He didn't stay in the grave. He came out. And when he did, he gave a simple message. Whoever believes in me should not perish but have everlasting life. To believe on Jesus Christ is to trust in him. The opposite of trusting in Jesus is to trust yourself. Trust yourself that you know better than he does. Trust yourself that you've got your own plan and you're going to make it work. Trust yourself that you don't need God. I don't believe you believe that or you wouldn't be in this church service tonight. Maybe it's time for you to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe to follow Him in baptism. I don't know what's on your heart. But you do and God does. Maybe tonight you've been struggling with the storm. You've been looking for a silver lining. You've been looking for the wrong thing. Look for the rainbow. There's a rainbow in it whether you can see it or not. God sees it. And it's a rainbow of His grace. It's there, and he'll get you through. Let's stand together.